This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome along to the latest edition of Paper Talk Extra Irish Examiner Sports Podcasts. I'm here with Stephen Barry and with Michael Sheen. My own name is Peter McNamara and for the next half an hour or so we're going to discuss the obviously the, the massive clash between Ireland and Denmark in the World Cup qualifiers as well as the November internationals we have uh, Ireland playing South Africa that's a massive massive game of the Aviva as well so we're going to talk about that in detail and we're also going to take a look at the international rules series between Ireland and Australia but we're going to begin today by discussing the game in Copenhagen on Saturday evening um, Stephen, I, like we were here last night when Ireland qualified for this stage of the competition by beating Wales. It was I wouldn't say it was a smash and grab because that would be a bit harsh, but they did what they had to do, and now they're in a position where they're back to the same kind of thing where they have to sit off, hope for the best, keep it tight, and hopefully in the return leg, turn the screw. Yeah, and I suppose going away from home, you'd take a draw, you take any result you can get back to Dublin. So. Mm. I mean, it's probably going to be the same setup. It's going to be keep it tight at the back, try and get them on the counter, really. Get your ball up to Murphy or Long, whoever's up front, and try and get runners off that. And it's, I would imagine it's going to be a similar, simple game plan again to try and contain Denmark and pick them off when the opportunities arise. But I suppose what's maybe a bit different in this case is I've been hearing that Denmark play quite a similar way. They play a similar type of long ball up to the front game and I suppose they have Christian Eriksen there too who is the class player I suppose much like Gareth Bale would have been for Wales in the first game between Ireland and Wales um, but it'll be interesting it mightn't be might be the prettiest of games I would say but it'll be tight and tough and it'll be it'll mean a lot so it'll be intriguing and just in touching on that uh, point that Steve made about Denmark and the fact that they kind of have a more pragmatic approach now is that uh, Danish journalist Morten Glinvad has a piece in Saturday's Examiner Sport discussing that element of Denmark's um, game and it's actually a very interesting read I, read I recommend anyone to read that and of course as well in, in Examiner Sport on Saturday Liam Brady gives his thoughts on the game and of course Liam's opinion is always highly highly valued, valued around the country so another must read Mikey <laughs> Stephen Barry was talking there about their long ball game and I suppose if Denmark are going to take that approach you'd be looking at a guy he's been talked about all week in the press Tottenham's Christian Eriksen you would assume that the ball could be knocked down to him or whatever but is there almost too much emphasis on him now? Uh, 
there probably is because he's the most well-known player probably out of both squads uh, look I, actually I must say Larry Ryan put up a tweet a few weeks ago just saying simply what if both teams don't want the ball and mm. I, I think that's he actually said that before he came in there yeah, probably, yeah. I think it's, a, it's one of the probably most valuable points about this game I don't think both teams want the ball um, Denmark that slight bit more have Christian Eriksen um, look there was a piece done on uh, Thursday's Examiner Sport it was a brilliant piece on Christian Eriksen by uh, Martin Cloak I think you're probably well known Spurs mm-hmm. um, follower and, and writer and he, he just brought out some of the points that Eriksen and the importance Eriksen brings to the Danish setup. And I, I'll just go through some of those he has 12 goals for Denmark in his last 13 appearances um, Eight of Denmark's 20 goals were scored by Eriksen, who also scored, assisted three of them. These are very important mm. points. Denmark and Ireland are similar in every other way. They have Christian Eriksen, and we don't have a world-class player. And I, I do believe Eriksen is slowly in, into that top 10 world-class players. Uh, the way he played against Real Madrid for Spurs was just... Just brilliant. Um, there was a, a criticism levelled at him that he used to dominate games, and I still don't think he dominates games, but he influences games. And all that he needs in these over these two legs is two moments of influence: one in the home leg and one in the away leg. If, if you go through the Din, the Denmark squad, there's no there's nobody else. We saw Christiansen actually for Chelsea against Manchester United look very composed. Uh, after being thrown in there with all that Ferrari about David Luiz not playing look very comfortable back there Kasper Schmeichel so they have someone in in, in the lines mm. that can prove influential uh, they're like a good club GA team aren't they, they really are like, yeah, but very similar to Ireland mm. we, we have now what I, and I, I would have criticised Ireland a few weeks past before the um, the Wales game for not having a leader in there but I think over the last over that last two games that we got the six points uh, we've shown that we had leaders and unfortunately we're missing one of them on um, Saturday evening and David Mailer who was an absolute leader in Wales um, who would be ideally suited oh, to ideally suited carrying out the yeah. job of trying to nullify Ericsson yeah yeah because I think what will happen is that um, probably Glenn Whelan is going to be put in there I just don't see him being good enough I, I don't know about you Steve I do think it is the type of task that would suit Whelan like Whelan, he's not the best on the ball, but what he can do is he can shield a defence. And his game, or what he will be told to do, I'm sure, is to mark Christian Eriksen. And it's not going to be a matter of following Eriksen around the pitch if they're playing more of a long ball game and if he's going to be up there in that final third. So I think, ideally, you'd have Myler, you'd have McCarthy. But I think if you are going to have Whelan, because there aren't really great options for a holding midfielder after him... It, it does, I think, appeal to his strengths. Eriksen is not the lightning quick player um, that some other creative players around Europe are. Um, but at the same time, does Whelan have the legs at this point in his career to still follow a guy that's going to glide around the field as he will? I think he can do a job. Or will he sit? Or will he sit? Will he, will he even will he, do it? Well, I'd say it will be a matter of sitting because... You're not expecting... It doesn't sound like Denmark are really expecting Eriksen to run the game in the sense of coming deep to pick up the ball. Like, they're a back-to-front team, a bit like Ireland, so he's going to be probably slipping around that final third in the... What probably Jack Charlton would have called the area of maximum opportunity towards the goal. And that's, Hence his goal ratio, I suppose. Indeed, yeah. yeah. I think he scored the last six games in a row, and mm. he scored. they beat Poland 4-0, which is probably the most worrying result. They had a mixed campaign but came good towards the end and 
he scored one and assisted the other three goals against Poland. So it's worrying what he can do around the box. But I do think Whelan can keep him quiet to an extent. The only problem is if he gets one or two chances, what he can do with those. Yeah, I think if we can keep him to the final third, I think that's where we'll actually, that'll be our advantage because we're just going to stuff that final third, Denmark's final third. We're going to have our back four in there and we're going to have two of Arthur Whelan or Hendrik also back there. So if you have those six back along there and you have Ericsson in there, he's not going to be able to do anything. My worry is if he comes into the middle third, like he does for Spurs, collects the ball and then will set up. It doesn't matter what he, I know with Spurs he has Ali and he has Kane and he's Trippier on one wing and he has um, um, Davies. Yeah, and, and the other wing. If he comes into that middle third is where I think the worry is. And I think who follows him into that middle third is the problem, which I think is a, is a job for Arthur. When he goes into that middle third, if he stays in the final third, mm. I think we're okay. And we did see the damage Joe Allen did against Ireland in the early stages, <clears throat> admittedly, of that final game. That is a great that middle third. In the middle third, I, I agree, yeah. I, I think if they start float and, and when, um, when they lost Allen, they, they did, Ireland were well able to cope with what Wales had. But they weren't able to cope with them in the first 15, 20 minutes. And Wales could have had two or three if they'd been a bit more clinical. I think if Ericsson slips into that middle third, we're in trouble. I think if he stays up supporting the striker for Denmark, I think we'll have no problem. I and when I say no problem, it'll still be in the middle. I suppose when you think of it, when they had Joe Allen and they had Aaron Ramsey just ahead of him, that was the two links. Whereas Denmark, theoretically, of the one link, so they're missing one. Like They don't have two Christian Eriksons to do both. Hmm. So that's a puzzle. I suppose the worry though would be as well that we have seen Georgia absolutely dominate possession against this Ireland team so hmm. it's not Ireland are putting pressure on the ball but only when it gets into that final third so if Denmark want it they probably could have the balance of possession and try and pick out Eriks and then between the lines or how much of a gap there would be between Whelan or Arthur and the centre backs but it just depends how they approach it do they go it the way they have, or I think it was a pat, I heard Casper Schmeichel had an influence in it with the manager and deciding to go along after results were going against him. So do they keep backing that and believe that they can find Ericsson or Delaney with knockdowns? Or do they change that up? So you would imagine they would stick with a winning formula, but that might play for Ireland's hands, especially like Shane Duffy is a monster in the air. Mm. I, I think whatever way you're looking at it, it's just not going to be a pretty... No, I, I certainly have come to the conclusion that this could be a very, very attritional warfare. But at the same time, if Ireland get out of Copenhagen, even if there were one goal down, would that be feasible to overturn? Or is it a case that do we think that Denmark will then reverse roles, sit and park every bus they have? And like my, my, my thought completely on this is that if we concede in both legs, it's game over. My worry we're coming out of Copenhagen would be the amount of players we're going in with on yellow cards. I think with 10 players going in on yellow cards, the whole back four, the goalie, Murphy up top, McLean, I think Arthur and Whelan possibly as well. Like it's you're looking at the vast majority of a team going in with yellow cards. and But Miter will be back. And mm, well, I suppose defensively maybe how much backup have we with Coleman missing, with yeah. Richard Kiel missing. That's mm. where I would worry about the depth if we do pick up two or three yellow cards okay, okay. I, I think it's important to get out of there with if possible a, sc- a score Ireland scoring but not conceding two 
It's, fu- it's funny, I was talking to a friend of mine last night about this just briefly, and we actually kind of said, we both agreed that it would, and don't, this might sound weird, but it would nearly be worse for Ireland if they drew one all than if they did drew nil all, because he was of the opinion, I kind of agree with him in a way, is if we drew one all, would we part the bus in the home league, and it would be counterproductive rather than we went to Wales knowing that okay we weren't going to, we weren't attacking all the time but we knew we had to win there was a different mentality I think an important point in this is, is if you look back to the Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane campaigns or in a two game weekend or a two game international fixture or second fixture we have been far superior far superior an extra day or two maybe a day betting down, betting down on the first day that they haven't been around I think it's the second game that Ireland have been a bit superior. Even in the Georgia-Serbia games, mm. we were so desolate against Georgia. Now, we lost against Serbia, I appreciate that, against some far superior kind of uh, opponent. But our performance, if you just take a performance alone, and this doesn't come down to performances, this comes down to the two-legged aggregate score. But our performance has been far superior in the second leg. And I, I think that should happen in any case. I don't... Uh, I don't think there's probably a massive difference in our approach either between chasing the game and holding out for a score yeah. and a straw. I mean, if you look at the Wales game, you yeah. wouldn't necessarily have known we were chasing a goal. It was very much back to the wall and trying to pick But, but at the same time, the team still knew that they had to win, you know? Mm. Like that eventually they had to create something. Eventually, but they, we hadn't got to that point where the eventuality had come into it yet. I think it was in the 55th or 60th minute we'd scored and we hadn't really made too many inroads into the Wales no. and the way they went about it as well was very much ball up on Murphy which mm. is what you'd be doing just as an outlet if you were defending as well so I suppose in terms of whether you know 1-1 would be a bad result for Ireland I'd definitely take it because I think the hopes of the Ireland team are resting really on the defence and just trying to pick off a goal when that opportunity arises. You would assume that David Myler will step back into the breach straight away in the return league. Yes. yes? Yeah. Quickly agree? Yes. Okay. So and as an addition to that, you would you also assume that Wes Hoolan will start the second leg even uh, given that he tends to play him at home all the time? No. You well, wouldn't assume. I wouldn't. If, well, that's if a pity because has, if both of them, well, okay, that's a fair yeah. point. But if the, I'm just saying, if both of them do play in the second leg, I would be more confident. Not just not just the age or argument about Wes, just the fact that the both of them would bring a bit more intensity to the way that the team plays, a bit more fluidity in around the middle third. That probably is the one difference, maybe an approach between if they are chasing it and not or not. Because if they are chasing it, you imagine you do bring in Hulan to try and get on the ball in that final third and make things happen. But if they get a great result in Copenhagen and are coming back and looking at a scoreless draw to go through, I think you're probably looking at leaving Wheelan out and or Hulahan out and if Denmark gets something, then introducing him. So I think that's mm-hmm. probably where the game situation will depend on how many minutes he gets. Okay. Yeah, no look, I'll go back to my earlier point. I think if Ireland concede both home and away, we're gone. Simple as. So let's get actual predictions. I think Ireland will qualify over the two legs. I'm not sure. I don't think they will get a result in Copenhagen. I mean, i.e., I don't think they'll win, obviously. But I do think over the two legs that they will eke this out. Oh, I'm a warrior, Pete. Uh, <laughs> the, the more I look at this, I think maybe they are a bit similar to us in approach, but I suppose even if. Ireland do get the one chance Michael is a class goalie Christensen and Simon Kier is their other centre-back and captain 
you know, he plays at Sevilla, they're a good combination and they do seem to have finishers up front. So I think it'll be close and like they definitely could do it, but I just worry that our kind of joy at getting Denmark when the playoff draw was made might Premature. turn against us. But they'll be right there. They'll be there thereabouts. Yeah, I'm always the optimist. I, I absolutely see no reason why we should fear Denmark. And I don't. I think that's the way it's been built up. I think it's a 50-50 game. Um, I think the fact that we have Martin O'Neill on the sideline uh, is crucial. Um, and the way he turned our campaign around in the last two games. And I think we will just about scrape it by the odd goal in three. Okay, so Mikey believes that Ireland and will qualify over the two legs by the odd goal in three. Ireland are also in action, different code before the soccer against South Africa in the Aviva at half past five on Saturday. I suppose the big thing, lads, all this week, if we're talking about Christian Eriksen being the headline name in the soccer, certainly Bundiaki's participation in this international match has been grabbing most of the attention. First of all, where do you stand on this residency rule? Do you agree with it, disagree with it, in the sense that, you know, there are some voices that say, look, players that come in from the outside are taking the places of others. Is it a, is that a bit of an age-old argument in the sense that it's a bit outdated, it's a bit primitive in a way? Yeah, my, my, I, I actually, um, I think the amount of media attention on the Bundyaki situation is actually scandalous. Over and here we are. <laughs> uh, and here we are. No, absolutely. But I, I'm here to the, the absolutely defend uh, Bundyaki and, and the playing for Ireland thing. Um, the world has moved on. Let's look at all the World Rugby Unions at this moment, probably with the exception of South Africa. They seem to be losing players. They just seem to be the one losing an awful lot of players. Um, England, Wales, uh, sorry, England, New Zealand in particular, Australia. Mm-hmm. They're not made up of Australians. They're not made up of New Zealanders anymore. You know, And this has gone back with a large number of years. Um, but it's not just rugby. It's cricket. It is soccer. And it's, we're one of the greatest exponents of it. Um, you know it's is it I think it actually makes international teams perform better so if you know that and I've heard Alan Quinlan talking about this on the radio during the week if you know that there's a guy coming in in your position you have to up your game you know rather than looking for an easy cop out and say you know oh the inter- we're bringing in internationals now to play for the Irish national team no pride don't know the end of all this kind of stuff Crazy stuff. Look, even and I'll bring it back to GA, which is the one I'd be more comfortable with. Club teams around the country are bringing in players to play with them that are not from the region, and that is your yeah, that's a good point. Rural GA is supposed to be the heart, you know, the community. Not anymore, you know. Um, I'm not going to go naming names or pointing, but we all know of clubs and mm-hmm. uh, that are bringing in foreigners really to play the game, uh, but. To me, this Bundyaki situation, the rules are there, fair enough. If the rules change, the rules change, or maybe the rules shouldn't have been three years, maybe it should have been five years, or maybe the rules shouldn't be there. But the rule is there, and you play to the rules. Everyone is doing it, so why can't we? And if we're the third best nation in the, in, in the world, we won't be there for much longer if we decide to just pick Irish players. Strong. Irish-born players. So I'm very strongly in favour of the likes of Bundyaki, the likes of CJ Stander, playing for Irish rugby team. Very strong opinions from Mikey there. Do you concur or disagree? I don't like it really. And I suppose the issue... 
This is good. Dissension <laughs> in the ranks, lads. Well, the issue should be more with the rule than the players themselves. I get that there's a loophole there. But I suppose what... And it has been, I suppose, an issue when Jared Payne was doing it when CJ Standard came into the team as well. But I suppose what kind of maybe makes it, I suppose, even more pointed at the minute is that you have Simon Zebo, who has been living in Ireland the best part of 27 yeah, years. Simon si- Zebo can still be picked for Ireland. Like, oh, I know, yeah, yeah. But, but if you're talking about the IRFU taking a, basically a moral stand on Irish players should be supporting the Irish game, and on that issue they're saying Simon Zebo has been, you know, come up through the ranks, played schools, played for Cork Con, played for Munster, and even though he's still with Munster at the minute, he hasn't signed anything with a French club, and he's on the outside in the cold, and Bundyaki or CJ Stander with the best will in the world who are bought in by Ireland on the, these um, development contracts to qualify them for Ireland it does. It just doesn't have a good taste and like I know CJ Stander won a lot of friends when he sang the anthem and it was a lovely moment but I think Neil Francis when he caused a bit of a story he did make a good point if Carragher for someone had offered an extra 20 grand of a contract would he have been learning the Welsh anthem <laughs> and that's where we're at at the minute and I suppose there is a bit of an issue as well with like there are players missing out uh, and it is a very short term and I know World Rugby have increased it but I suppose the problem there is that's not coming in for three or four more years so it's still the wild west until then and we have had Luke Fitzgerald coming out and saying he was pissed off when Jared Payne was in a position that he was competing for and I was actually I was talking to Steve Neville in the office and if you look at the team who would be there if Bundyaki wasn't there and um, I think Stuart McCluskey was the one Steve mentioned and he was lauding his performance against England and I was looking at McCluskey I was like that's the only cap he's ever got he's a Jared Payne ahead of him he now has uh, uh, Bundyaki ahead of him and I went back I looked at the examiner from the day after that England game two years ago I think um, McCluskey got 7 out of 10 Donald Lenahan said he made a try save and tackle in the first half that he came into the game even more when Ireland were on the front foot in the second half and he hasn't got a minute since then so I'd have a lot of pity for him in this situation yeah, not to be political about it, but I actually genuinely can see both sides of the argument. I certainly because of the fact I think it's hypocritical of the IRFU that they allowed Johnny Sexton to go abroad and brought him in and play, and that's the obvious one. I just and then to say that I think that well, I, certainly in Zebo's case, Steve, I think it comes back to one very basic salient point. I don't think Joe Schmidt fancies him as a player as much as he does others. I really do. I really do. Uh, whether that's right or wrong, I wouldn't be in the inside by any stretch of imagination. And that's certainly looking for news. Well, he's 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 expendable. He's not like Sexton was. He's a luxury player that he doesn't want yeah. to afford. You couldn't have done without him. Like Ian Madigan is another one who's abroad to Ireland. Who at the time was playing great rugby. Yeah, absolutely, and was you know did well in the Rugby World Cup when ultimately mm. he was called upon. Yeah. So like I, I think Schmidt is a bit hurt by the Zebo thing. I think when okay. Schmidt got his hands on Zebo a few years ago, he was a flamboyant. Um, you know, his defensive side of the game needed an awful lot of work on, and Schmidt dropped him and dropped him from the, the squad, but worked with him and worked very hard with him on the defensive side of the game. And, and over the last few years, Simon Zebo has become an all-round rugby player, brilliant finisher, no problem. Defensively. What you're saying is uh, thanks primarily to Schmidt's coaching. Thanks primarily, not not in full. I think you've Andy Farland there as well. 
done a done a great job in that kind of work. But there's a small bit of hurt, and then it, it, it reminisces back to the IRFU. Well, like if we put all this time into the likes of Zebo, and then they go off to France for the bigger contracts, you know, let how do we hurt them? But Johnny Sexton did it. Yeah, you know, it's kind no, of. No, I, I get that, but like Zebo should, I believe, be still picked in this Irish squad. Well, I mean, I, that's something I would agree with. You know, with. I think most people would agree with that. I yeah, agree 100%. too. Especially, yeah. like, it's fair enough having a policy, and I know it's a bit it's, of a hypocritical policy. It's a policy the at times, policy sometimes policy. at others. But, I mean, it shouldn't be a policy that kicks in until he's actually out of the country. Because, like, you're downgrading the Six Nations if you're saying we have a player in Ireland who we can control his fixture load, which is the point of the policy, through the Six Nations. You're mm. downgrading if you're saying... Well, that's not really that important. We're really we're looking at three years down the road. I do disagree on the hurt point, though. I think this is pure business by Schmidt. I think they are trying to build up club rugby, which is a provincial rugby, which is a fair enough point. But there's just been exceptions, and it comes across hypocritical at times when they're they're doing it. So it does leave a bad taste with me. I, 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 to be honest, I can I can honestly see both sides of the coin. I can see why these guys should be allowed to play, and I can certainly see the argument of why, you know, how some people are are grieved at the fact that others who have been growing up playing in rugby in Ireland and have progressed and done all the work that they had to do to get to this point, and then are just being ignored essentially because. You know, I think I think a lot of it as well, lads. You know, looking, I don't have a rugby background at all. Says a man wearing a rugby top, nobody. I don't have a rugby background at, at all. Um, but looking from the outside in, I think that a lot of it is very, very political. The same way it is, I suppose, in every other sport. But look, I think at the end of the day, you could have the likes of Dundalk, Cork City players could turn around and say, "Well, you know, here's a second. Why aren't we getting involved in in, in this Republic of Ireland setup? There's other guys coming across the water. So there is that." Certainly happens in in, in more sport, but, but if you apply, it just seems hypocritical in, in the RFU in the context of what we're talking. And if you apply the rugby rule to soccer, I mean, England would have won five World Cups in a row, row with the players they've brought in, like who, you know, they're bringing players into academies at a very young age. They're turning into international stars. You'd you might have some of that, that Man City team in an England squad now. Like the rule itself is ridiculous, I think. And I know it's political, and the only reason it was extended was because. Argentina got the hump with it because they are the only kind of big country in the rugby world that's not getting to pick off players. And like I disagree with it. I know Ian McKinley is will get a first run out with, with Italy, which yeah. it's been a good news story how his career has been revitalised over there. But I don't think like the international game isn't like the club game. You can't buy in players first. And yeah, you shouldn't be able to. That, and I would take is, issue with it. This is a very good board. point because... Would you like... Okay, even if you were playing rugby, Mikey Sheen is playing rugby in South Africa. Yeah. But what, what would you play the, rugby with South Africa? Mikey, would you, right. If you were going to... Would you, well, after would you three play years, with them? After five years. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, though, right, it's three years and it's going to five years, but that's the rule and I, I, I don't... I think the rule is wrong, right? But it, sh- it should be five years. But if you're in there and you're Bundyaki, right, and you've moved and you've moved your life over to Connacht for three years, you have to immerse in the culture. Well, it's not just Bundyaki. Yeah, sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry, using Bundyaki as the example. The example yeah. um, you have to immerse yourself in the Connacht culture, the Irish way of life. Your family has moved here. Um, like CJ Stander, his wife has moved here, their family. So they, they, I won't say they're bought in Irish, but they have to immerse themselves in the Irish culture for three years and possibly more because if you 
say that you're going to be an Irish international, well, you can't just get your two or three caps and, and head away. You're, you're here for a longer time, you, you know. And I'm not saying he's more Irish than any of us or anything like that. But that's the way the international game has gone. It, it does come down to, you know, that rule. And uh, if but, that rule is there, he, he's entitled to take advantage of it. And the Irish, Irish I do think, have. I do think some of that... Con- I agree he's entitled to take advantage of it and like it's completely up to him really if the rule is there the rule is there but I think some of the commentary about I suppose the buying into it is added retrospectively because I mean up until last year he was saying that he was keeping his options open he was saying you know there's three different countries I could play for good you know he's picking and choosing and even when you look at Pat Lamb had just signed him up for a new contract with Connacht and then Pat Lamb jetted off to Bristol Bundyaki was furious mm. So, you know, I don't think it's the, you know, the Galway way of life that has brought him to this point. It's financial and it's business. So, like, that's the bottom line. And I think it's a pity that international rugby has come to that, really. And it's not a personal thing. There's multiple issues of it around the world. And I do think, overall, it will, like, it does take from, I think, something like if you're looking at the World Cup in a few years and every country has a lot of players recruited in. I don't think it's a great look. Okay. Speaking of international teamed events, um, the International Rules is obviously on at the weekend as well. Ireland are playing Australia in that. Have you been following all this, Steve? Or is this something that you like? Is this this particular game, hybrid game as they refer to it, is this something you enjoy? It's, It's kind of a nice distraction. It's something different. It's not... It's not essential viewing. Um, it's not something I'd always have watched or I'd kind of dip in and out of it. Um, I suppose especially when it's over in Australia, it's on early in the morning. Mm. And I'm caught in here on night sometimes. But um, it's it's kind of one that's as much for the players as anything else. That it rewards the players and like you've players from different counties, uh, like Connor Sweeney from Tipperary. I think Gary Brennan is in there from Clare, and it's kind of. An opportunity to represent her. Exactly. It's not necessarily an all-star selection, but it does give recognition to really quality players. And when they're going to Australia, it gives them, I suppose, a nice kind of perk to the, well, not the job, but to the, I suppose, lifestyle. They're living 12 months round. So I think I think it's a good thing. Mikey, y- yeah. if someone who plays at the highest level of club football in Park, what do you think? Yeah, no, like... I honestly think uh, it's a great thing for the, the players involved and I agree fully there with Stephen I think um, the players that we're talking about are the players at the elite level of sport uh, in Ireland and obviously if you're at the elite you're always still even looking to go to the next, lep- next step high whether that's professional we've seen um, some of our players go to Australia but to have this as kind of like okay this is the very top you know there is nowhere more going or that we can go and like take Connor Sweeney like you know he has now reached the, the pinnacle of the GA world uh, we'll call it it's brilliant the structure is there for him to go over it's all put on a plate it's the professional um, approach for two or three weeks and, and the training sessions leading up to it and I think these players and I know myself like that if I'm training all year I'll, I'll want to be playing uh, senior football and then I'll want to be playing the next level or attempting like obviously not anymore like I'm, I'm gone beyond that age but when I was younger I always wanted to dreamed of playing at the highest level um, these players have the same mentality and attitude I, I assume as that and they want to go to the highest level so to give them an opportunity to put the structure in place and when you put the structure in place and have it all set up and properly the players will follow I probably the only perceived negative with it in the past would have been that players would have been picked off by Aussie Rules clubs but 
I think realistically at this stage they're looking younger than our current best talent so I don't mm. really think that fear is there as much anymore yeah. and there's probably no reversing the interest in Aussie rules in younger players and that's just a part of life now at this stage so I think it's all good really now. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, the, the, the problem with it is, as you say, is that after probably six or seven hours of beer on Saturday night, it's going to be hard to get up on Sunday morning to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> on, that note, we sh- on that note, we should leave it there. A mat- an absolutely crazily packed weekend of sport on the horizon. Don't forget to pick up Examiner Sport on Saturday for all the best coverage in the country and again on Monday morning. That's all from us here on Paper Talk Extra. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.